Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, we have a phenomenal show for you today. We are continuing our series all about pornography. And this is our second one. If you missed the one right before this, go back and listen to it with Sam Black uh, from Covenant Eyes. But today I have Jessica Harris on. And Jessica wrote a book called Quenched, Discovering God's Abundant Grace for Women Struggling with Pornography and Sexual Shame. And I know because I'm a woman, and I know because this has been a struggle of mine, and I know also because I talk to women and I hear from women that this is no longer a problem that can be labeled, this is the men's problem. This is how we need to deal with our men and our boys. And although it clearly might be more of a man problem than a woman problem, I appreciate the way Jessica is tackling this topic and really creating resources and information for women to not feel like there's something like gross and wrong about them because it's their struggle. But how do we actually discover God's grace within the midst of struggling with it? And so Jessica came on and we had a phenomenal conversation today that I hope that you will lean into and listen to you and I don't think I need to give a warning, but the whole series that we're releasing all today on November 10th is all around pornography. So if you have kids in the car, you might want to listen to it with headphones on or depending on the age of your kids, it might be a great conversation starter, but I wanted to let you know uh, that we have a sensitive subject today. On another note, you guys, if you do not subscribe to my newsletter, today is the perfect day for you to do that. I'm going to tell you why. We have been giving out some free things recently around recipes and things to help you not feel so stressed out in your life. And so those come through our newsletter. And in fact, we're making big announcements this month on our newsletter. And so go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter. Sign up today. Also, maybe you don't know when I release new shows or you want to know who the guest is before you sit down and listen. We let you know every Wednesday in our newsletter who is actually coming on our show that day so you can go check it out. Guys, I suggest you listen to all of the episodes in this series. I think you're going to love them. Like I mentioned, the episode that released uh, numerically before this one, all on the same day, though, is Sam Black, who works for Covenant Eyes and wrote a book called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Read that book, highly recommend it. We also have Chris McKenna from Protect Young Eyes, and he is also on this series. So here's three podcast series episodes that we thought would be helpful. We also created a link with other resources for you. We've talked to other guests on the happy hour about pornography. We have other books that we think are important. We talk about books for kids to read to your kids. And so there's some resources there. Check out jamieivy.com and you can find all of those resources. If you missed the show on Wednesday, go back and listen to that. Josh and Katie Walters talk about how God really redeemed a lot in their marriage and what that looked like. And then <laughs> this is all about marriage. It seems like because next Wednesday, Scott Kadersha is on and we talk all about marriage. Love the conversation with him. Make sure you don't miss that one either. You guys, whatever you're doing today, happy Friday. Hope you have a great day. Jessica, welcome to the happy hour. I am so excited to be here, Jamie. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to have you here. And we are in the middle. I think there's going to be three episodes, and I think you're smack dab in the middle. We're in the middle of a series that we're releasing all about pornography. And it feels like, oh, I'm sure my teenagers love that their mom's doing a series on pornography. But you know what? It is what it is. Um, and I, I will tell you this, I've had your book at my office for a while because it came out in January of this year. So it means I probably mm -hmm. got a copy, I don't know, last fall somewhere. 
And I, I literally, Jessica, I would look at it all the time and I would think, okay, I want to read this. I want to read this. I want to know what this woman has to say. And I told you before we started recording, I read it over the weekend and I, I loved it so much. I have already texted five people to say, you need to get this book and read it. So thank you you. for writing it. Oh, thank you for reading it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Introduce yourself to my listener. Yeah. My name is Jessica Harris and I am the voice behind beggarsdaughter.com, which is a blog for um, Christian women who struggle with pornography. So I've been speaking in this space for just over 14 years now. Oh, Um, I did not know that, Jessica. Yeah. (laughs) I've been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you have. And it's just been a a really neat thing to see the conversation change to to where it is now to even be able to accept a book like the one I wrote. Um, I wrote Quenched and it released back in January. I am happily married to an army chaplain and we have three little ones just had a baby in May. So two girls and a little boy and uh, love and life. So here we are. (laughs) I love it so much. You know, I jokingly said, I'm sure my kids would be, you know, just thrilled that their mom is doing a series on porn, but I'll say this, Jessica, I've written, um, a hand, a couple of books now. And, um, in my first book I wrote, I mentioned pornography. I think I told this to Sam, who also has a show coming out today with the series, is that when I wrote about pornography in that very first book, I had so many women come up to me and they would kind of whisper and they would lean in close and they would say this. I've never heard a woman talk about this before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that putting that chapter in my book, I think it was chapter nine or whatever, where I had this story about pornography, Jessica, I did not want to put it in. And right. the reason I didn't want to put it in is because pornography as a woman feels very, very dirty and gross. Yeah. And I literally lost sleep over it. And then I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's where I had so many women say, thank you for writing about this. So I want to start here. One of the things that you said in your book is you said, and I think that you were talking about when maybe you were in college. I can't remember the, I can't remember what was going on when you said this as I listened to the book, but you said, why can't I have a cute stronghold? Yeah. Like, (laughs) like, why can't I come to the table and be like, guys, I just haven't read my Bible in like four days. You know, Uh like, why is my stronghold pornography? And so I want to start there because I think that women that are listening to this that have or do or, or whatever struggled with pornography, we think that why, why Mm -hmm. is this that God? And so I want to ask you like, over all these years of being in the space of talking with women about that, what do you encourage women when they come to you and say, like, why does this have to be part of my story? What is this? Like, is there something wrong with me? Because I think as women, we feel like, oh, I must be gross. I must be the, like, the lone person. I've never met anyone like this. Mm-hmm. And when you said that in the book, it really resonated with me because I think that's how women feel. Right. I think especially church women, right? Especially. Good clarification. We've been, yes. We've been raised to have like this image of just being like this ideal Proverbs 31 woman, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and then we're in this confessional situation. It's like, yeah, they say I can say anything and I can tell them anything, but I don't think they're really prepared Mm. for what I'm going to tell them. (laughs) And I want, I think I said in the book, or at least in my first book, I say like, I wanted the Christian Barbie answer, Mm. like the, the church girl answer, the good church Mm. girl answer of like, what, what is it that you're struggling with? Oh, I just don't love Jesus enough. You know, like Mm -hmm. I wanted that one. And there was this level of almost anger of why does it have to be this one? And I think if a woman came to me and and said that, like, why does this have to be my story? I'm just so mad at God almost for letting this be my story. I think my, my response to her would be that that actually is 
a, an effect of shame in her story. Mm. Like that's, that is shame that's making you feel like this is such a bigger and different issue. And unfortunately, like shame can come from our cultures too, right? So in some churches, that is the message that we feel mm. when the worship leader says, oh, I struggle with envy. Everyone mm-hmm. goes, oh yeah, me too. You know? mm-hmm. And then if she were to go, I struggle with pornography. It's like kick her out of the church. You know? mm-hmm. So we have this yeah. kind of hierarchy of, of sins, unfortunately. Um, but that also is a, a voice of shame. That's not coming from God. None of that's coming mm-hmm. from God. So when a, a woman says, I'm struggling with this and I wish I was struggling with something cute, God doesn't see any of it as cute, right? Mm. Like it's not cute to him. So that's ultimately who we're striving to be like, who we're striving to connect back into relationship with and who we're pursuing freedom for, not for all the people around us. And so I would encourage her to switch her perspective in that way that you might see this as like so much worse than what everyone else mm-hmm. is going through, but God does not. He's He sees it all the same. And I would say that there's so much grace for that woman who is struggling with something deep and dark and is willing to bring it into the light. And she's actually going to experience freedom more than the person who's over here going, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm only going to talk about my Bible reading. Mm. You in wanting to talk about this are stepping into freedom and stepping into Mm. the light. Shame is just, I feel like Satan is just like he, that is his a game. That is Mm. like, that is the weapon of choice with so many women is shame. And I appreciate when you're when I was reading this book, I felt convicted in ways you might not think, but it I got convicted in ways that I have spoken about pornography mm. to try to keep people from not wanting to view pornography and just how that could be a a, a cycle of shame as well. I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. There it is a true fact that um trafficking of individuals and pornography are linked together, right? Like that is not, we're not disputing that. That is a, that is a true fact. But I thought about words I've said before, Jessica, about like, well, and and again, I'm not someone over here that's never viewed pornography or struggled with it. I have. And so I'm not sitting here as a place of like, how could they? But I found myself going, even thinking like, I don't understand guys. Don't you know you're contributing to sex trafficking in America? And I heard you talk about that in your book, and like that is a form of shame. And so now we have people who like are trapped in this shame, and then we're reinforcing it. I mean, my mind was just blown, and I literally like confess, like God, I think I've done this. I think I have contributed to shame. Um, and so it gave me a lot to talk to think about. I I've gone way past where I wanted to start this conversation. I want to start this conversation with your story. Sorry, I jumped right in. I'm telling you, I love this book so much. I want to have like a book club conversation, okay? I want to start with your story because there are there's a misconception that pornography is something that only men struggle with. I think in 2023, we're a little bit past that. You, I think that you would agree with me a little bit. You mm-hmm. just told me you've been blogging about this for 14 years, so I think we're true. There is still in Christian circles a, a, a misconception that women will struggle with pornography. I want you to tell us a little bit about your story and what that mm-hmm. looks like, because I'll know, I know it's not the same as mine or every listener. There is familiarity in a lot of our stories with mm-hmm. pornography. So what is your story with pornography? Right. So I was exposed to pornography when I was 13. Um, and this is back, like, <laughs> this is back in the age of dial up internet and floppy yep. disks and like Oregon trail was like the bomb. This is back mm-hmm. then. And, um, the internet was really relatively new and I don't think people understood what was out there on the internet. So I was exposed at 13. 
this is right in the middle of like what I call the true love weights movement or purity culture is what we refer to it now. So at the same time that I'm exposed to this content, I'm also hearing nothing from church basically other than there's this thing called sex and you're not allowed to have it. And that's kind of the beginning and the end of that conversation. So for me at 13, I get exposed while I'm researching for school completely innocently. Like I wasn't even researching for health class. Like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was out of left field. Like, and Mm -hmm. I get exposed to it and I go, Oh, this is that, you know, big secret thing that the church isn't talking about that my family is not talking about. This is, this is it. And in my mind, it, it seemed like a middle ground, right? So I'm not actually having sex. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sleeping with anybody. So I don't have to worry about the whole STD thing or the whole unwanted pregnancy thing. I'll still, you know, be a virgin. And when I get married, check mm-hmm. that block. Um, yep. But it's like, this is a, a safe way for me to explore my sexuality. And that's kind of how it started for me at 13. Um, my mom did catch me early on and was completely freaked out. <laughs> and as a mom now, like I totally get it. But at the time I'm like, ah, oh, mom, you need to chill. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but she, she was terrified and didn't know what to do. And was like, just tell me you were curious. Just tell me you were curious. Mm-hmm. I was like, fine. I'm, I was curious. You know? mm-hmm. And I just learned how to, to hide it better. And I continued to use um, all throughout high school. So my senior year of high school, it was so bad that I was reading erotica on school computers, like during school hours. I would come home from school and I would call my mom at work and let her know I'd be on the internet all afternoon because back in the day you couldn't, you couldn't be on, call. The and the, on the phone. So I let her know I'm going to be on the internet and so you won't be able to call me, but uh, I'm here. I'm just researching for school. And then I would watch porn for hours. And I think it's helpful for people to understand that like I'm talking about real pornography. Like I'm not talking about reading things online. I did that at school, but at home I was watching like videos and stuff. I think sometimes when women talk about it, they're like, Oh, it's romance films. No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no, Mm -hmm. it wasn't. Um, And then my mom would come home and I would have deleted the history and like typed in some websites to make it look like I had researched for school so that she couldn't find anything. And then she would go to bed and I would, the computer was in her room. So I didn't have access anymore. So I would stay up and watch our cable TV. Mm-hmm. And at that time, if you didn't have a channel, it was like static. And then sometimes mm-hmm. like things would slip through. And so I would just like sit up for hours, just watching the adult channels that we did not get waiting for a scene to slip through. So it got to this point where it was just all consuming. Like if I wasn't actively at school, I basically was trying to find a way to to be involved in pornography. So um, I, my grades started to suffer. I wasn't sleeping a lot. And I thought, okay, I just, maybe this has gotten a little out of hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe I need to rein this in. And I tried to rein it in and I found out that I couldn't. And so I felt mm-hmm. very stuck um, as a, as a high school senior. And I'm, so now I'm searching for help to break free from pornography and mm-hmm. everything is for men, everything. And that mm-hmm. was when I'm going, oh, oh, maybe this isn't the safe, healthy middle ground that I thought it was something wrong with me as a woman for struggling with this. And so I I didn't know what to do at that point. I didn't know who to tell. I'm not going to tell my mom. (laughs) We've already been down that road. not going to tell my mom. My church is a very conservative, fundamental church. Um, All of the leadership is very old. And 
their wives are very old and I'm just like, I'm going to kill somebody. Like I'm going to walk into the room and say like, here I am the deacon's granddaughter and I struggle with pornography and whoever it is is going to (laughs) drop. Like they're just Mm going to be gone. So I can't tell them. And I went off to college, Christian college, still struggling, um, got caught there and was told women don't have this problem. So they knew it couldn't have been me. And that's when I kind of shame just swallowed me. And I I Mm. gave up and thought this is, this is it. If I can't be the good Christian girl who used to be a porn addict, then I don't have a choice, but to be the porn star who used to be a Christian. And so Mm. there was a switch in my mind of, I'm never going to be able to break free from this. So I might as well just become pornography. Mm. And so that was like the, the lowest part of my journey. And then God just like miraculously rocked my world kind of. And the next fall, I ended up at Bible college because that's where all aspiring porn stars go. And mm-hmm. um, I, that's where the Dean staff said, Hey, we know some of you women struggle with this mm-hmm. and we want to help you. It's a completely different conversation, right? From, yeah. from women don't have this problem to, Hey, we know some women mm-hmm. do, and we want to help you. And that's where I was able to make that confession that mm-hmm. this is, this is my struggle. And that's where I was able to start stepping forward in freedom. And that's kind of the conversation switch that I've been working over the past 14 years to have happen of Mm. women don't have this problem to, okay, women do have this problem and we want to help them. Yeah. You know, I found it quite interesting that when you got caught the first time in college at your Christian college, that not only did they say, this can't be you, like the women don't struggle with this, but they literally were like, you must have given your password out to a boy because this would not be a woman doing this. This would be a boy. And right. you got in trouble for something you hadn't even done. And and you went along with it probably because you're like, this is my this is my way out. Like, I okay, that's right. fine. Whatever. <laughs> like, yes. I'll sign the paper. But I just found that <laughs> right. so interesting, you know, that they even, yeah. they they created their own story only because they thought this could not possibly be your struggle. Right. They had a, they had their own little narrative and it was, you had to have given out your password to somebody and what a horrible sister in Christ you are for doing this. Whoever this is really needs help. And I was like, it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. we really need to be able to, to talk to him, but we don't even know who he is because you've, you know, covered for him basically. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't, it was, it was me. You know, one of the things I enjoyed so much about your book was you talked about this brokenness that is kind of the deep root of our problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, you you went a lot throughout your book on um, Jesus and the woman at the well, and you talk about how we can't shut off access to pornography, but we can cut off necessity. And so, like, what are the mm. deeper roots as to why we are wanting to engage in pornography? And it caused me to 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 stop in my tracks as I was walking and think about it. Because there have been, I, I watched a lot of porn when I was in college uh, with in a relationship I was in, and then didn't like watch it at all until literally like like this year in twenty twenty three was the first time I had watched porn since like I was in college, so a long mm-hmm. time ago. Confess to a friend, confess to my husband, all the things, um, but it got me thinking: what what was it? that 25 mm-hmm. years later, like what mm-hmm. was inside of me? And so it was like, you, the, even the conversation that you had of like, there's deeper roots inside of us. Can you talk a little bit about that and your journey? If you want to be specific with yourself of like trying to solve the porn problem, you, you talk about like, we have to go deeper. And I appreciated yeah. that because I'm like, yes, that is so true with every sin in our life, really. Like mm-hmm. everything that we're dealing with, there is this deeper. So talk a little bit about what that looked like in your personal life. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I, I try to encourage parents or churches or 
whatnot is that so often we just want the behavior to stop, right? <laughs> we're just, just, just stop doing it. And we're not willing to, to figure out why. And mm-hmm. for me, I think what started as just something that I stumbled upon out of curiosity. So like, I think it's important mm-hmm. to understand that it can change, right? Mm-hmm. So our relationship with something can change. You might have a great relationship with food, but then something happens and it starts to morph and right. change. So I was introduced to it innocently enough and I began to explore it innocently enough. Over time, it began to become almost a coping mechanism. I'm a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. I have been through a lot of trauma in my life. And my dad left our family. I was abused by my dad. I was molested by a classmate mm-hmm. when I was in elementary Sorry. school. And the so there's learning like healthy coping mechanisms didn't happen for me because I was mm-hmm. just running to pornography with, with things, with my emotions, you know, those things that we should mm-hmm. be taking to God. We should be learning how to work through with other people, whatever. Pornography became that emotional crutch for me, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so almost any emotion would lead me there. Any anger or sadness or stress or loneliness, happiness, Mm -hmm. joy, all of it would somehow push me right back to it. And I just did not know how to function otherwise. So Mm -hmm. that was it for me. I feel like um, a lot of people can go to it for a numbing, like an escape or just to get away from what they're going through. But it's so important to understand what that driving mechanism is. And that's not an excuse. It's not so you can excuse your use, right? Right. It's so that you can Mm -hmm. find freedom. Because if you don't Mm -hmm. figure out what's driving you to it, you're going to live your entire life just fighting for freedom, like clawing Mm -hmm. to keep it away. Whereas if you can figure out where it's coming from and you can get healing into that area, then you live in a sense of freedom. And you might go, Mm -hmm. this is my weakness here. I know that emotions are my weakness just in general, like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. girl, I got to learn how to like even myself out, but I know that I'm created to be an emotional person. So it's removing some of that shame from that. Like mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing to have emotion. So taking some of that shame away, but also going, I also know that this is, if the devil's going to get me, this is where he's going to get me. He's going to mm-hmm. get me in this area of my emotions. And this is where pornography will sneak back in if I'm not careful. And so it's being mm-hmm. able to go, this is my weak spot. And whatever that is for you, whether it's like, I've got this trauma in my past that I need to heal up from, but whenever I think about it, man, it, it starts veering me off course. Or if it's just, oh, I'm so stressed out and this is what I, I do to relieve stress or um, mm-hmm. for women, like sometimes certain times of the month, like we're just like, we have hormones and they just try to take over. And if we know what our trigger is, mm-hmm. then we're able to walk more effectively in freedom because we know what to look out for. If you don't know what your trigger is then you're walking around basically paranoid and you're not even able to love God effectively because you're so freaked out and you don't Mm -hmm. even know how this is going to happen. So understanding kind of your temptation template, if you will, is so helpful in knowing how to walk in freedom. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power and build towards your summer you. 
I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. One of the things you talk about in here that I also found very helpful was about creating boundaries and creating boundaries for ourselves. And even you talking about knowing your temptations, you can know where that is. I mean, we have so many boundaries, like like just on the other episode, you know, Sam Black is on for covenant um, eyes. We have we have covenant eyes. We also have another software you use, what we use at our house. Like we have all these boundaries and things like no computers in the rooms and my kids, um, like I can access their social media. Like, you know, we just put boundaries around ourselves. Um, and yet you said that I loved it. You said we should create boundaries out of love and not out of fear, Mm -hmm. out of love for God, out of love for what God wants for us and not out of fear. And I found myself asking myself, the boundaries, even if it's not around pornography, me, particularly in my life right now, I found, I found myself asking, man, are you putting boundaries out of fear? For like mm. fear of God, like not a holy fear of God, but like a like a shame-filled fear. Mm. Or do you have boundaries out of love? And I found that most of the time in our culture as Christians, especially those of us that grew up in the purity culture, like you mentioned, our boundaries are out of fear. They're not out of mm. love. And how do we switch that? And what does yeah, that even look like? Right. <laughs> so I think it's it's really just comes down to you can have the same boundary, right? So the boundary can still be the same. So let's say it's like, for instance, my husband and I did not kiss until our wedding day. Um, we had our first kiss before we were technically married, but when I knew it wouldn't cause any issues. So, uh-huh. um, and he would have been fine with kissing me sooner, but I asked for him to wait, not because I was worried what other people would think that would be a fear motivation, not because I was worried about what could happen to us. You know, it was more, I know that this is a weakness in my life. And I love you. Like I love him Mm -hmm. and I love God. And I don't want, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm tempted to do something that could wound us -hmm. in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I can put up a boundary and go, I have decided that out of love for you and love for God, that I would like us not to kiss until, until our wedding day. That, can be the same boundary, but it's a different motivation Mm -hmm. than if I go, my mom has said I can't, or the church has said I can't, or other people, I have instead looked at it and gone out of love for Mm -hmm. this 
relationship that I want us to have. And I want us to be able to walk into it without shame and without regrets and out of love for God and wanting to honor him with my life and knowing full well that if I start kissing you, that's going to possibly throw me back into pornography or that's going to raise up so much more temptation that I'm able to deal with right now then I am making this choice and I am making this choice. I'm not putting it in there because someone else told me I needed to. I have made this choice. Mm -hmm. So I think when you were talking about the boundaries that you have in, in your house, you know, for instance, like we don't bring computers into the bedroom. That's, that's fine. And it's, it's helpful, especially if that's an area of temptation like for you, but if it's just, well, we just don't want computers in the bedroom because that's what some expert said not to do. And you haven't, sat down and thought about what are we protecting with this boundary here? And is this an area where we're actually tempted? Um, Then it's a boundary that's more out of fear. But if you're able to sit down and go, okay, this is my story. This is my struggle. And I want to protect my freedom. I want to protect what is good. And so the way I'm going to protect that is to do X, Y, Z. And it might Mm -hmm. be the same boundary that someone else has, but your motivation, you're on the inside of the fence versus like the outside of the fence, right? You're looking at what's inside and you're saying this Mm. here around me is beautiful and is good and I want to protect what is in here as opposed to that out there is bad and scary and we must erect fences Mm -hmm. to protect ourselves from it it's a different strategy for it yeah you know you talk a lot about shame and I was just with some friends this week and we were having our our yearly retreat and the counselor said and you you, I wrote this in the notes that you said in this book as well and so I was I was listening to your book on walks while at this retreat with the counselor and it's like y'all were saying the same thing I thought it was really cool but shame sends us into hiding like we want to run we want to run away we see it we've seen this as Genesis 3 Genesis 2 we want to run away shame sends us into hiding and it got me thinking Jessica that even I, I'm going to be real honest with you, even right now in this moment, when I just said seven, nine minutes ago that I looked at porn this year, like my heart started beating faster. I got a little sweaty and I, and I regretted saying it out loud. And I say that to say that I'm feeling shame right now in this mm. moment. And, and I hate it because I am an advocate for, vulnerability and I'm an advocate for us not looking at women differently. And I'm an advocate for the church standing up and saying, like, how do we love people in the midst of this? And I now <laughs> am feeling this way. And I hate it. And so my question for you is what how do we become communities and friends and churches who don't promote this cycle of shame that often women, probably I'm guessing, more than men might feel with a struggle like something with pornography? Like, that's like a, I feel like that's a loaded question that we could have a 17-week series on. But what does it look like? Like, why am I a grown woman who is an advocate for vulnerability choosing to have a series about pornography on my podcast? Why am I feeling shame right now for what I said? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. I look, do. I'm, I'm I getting think. all kind of sweaty, <laughs> Jessica. I literally am like, what? <laughs> and I wrote it in the book, and so I might as well just say it out loud. So... But my point is, I'm feeling shame right now. Yeah. Well, you know, when you said it, uh, however many minutes ago you did, uh, my first, what I wanted to do, but I didn't quite fit with the context of the conversation was to respond to you and say that it was very brave for you to say that. And it's brave for you because of all of the reasons that you just listed make you feel the shame. And so like, it's like, shame and brave are like the opposite sides of a, mm. of a coin. And so you're going, I shouldn't do this because 
because I'm an advocate for this and I did all of these things. And that's why I shouldn't be doing this. And that's exactly why it's brave of you to share that it's your, a struggle, mm-hmm. right? Like all of those things, whether you advocate for things or you advocate against them or whatever they are, don't keep us from making choices and making decisions. And mm-hmm. what I challenge people all the time with is shame doesn't make people make good choices. It just makes them lie about the bad ones they're making. Right. It doesn't shame's not right. a motivator, but it tries to be. Shame's not a protector, but it pretends to be. Right. Mm. So you're you're going, I'm an advocate. I, I do all of these things. And shame's going, that's why you can't tell anybody. That's why you can't tell anybody, because then no one will take this seriously. But it's not protecting you like, mm. by stepping out and stepping forward and saying, like, hey, even though I am all of these things, even though I have written books, even though I speak in Christian circles on this, I still have struggled with this. I had to do that before my wedding because like in a moment of sheer panic, like two or three weeks before my wedding, I'm all of a sudden like I have no clue how to actually have sex. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I've yeah. watched pornography for years, but pornography is a horrible sex education teacher. Yep. And then I'm also going, but now I know too much and I don't want to uh-huh. walk into my walk into my marriage going, I know this and I know that and have my husband going, where'd you learn all that from? You know, he already knew that I had right, this for sure, struggle, but, but I was like, I don't want that. So what do I do? And then I somehow in some twisted like series of events ended up on a porn site like weeks before mm. my wedding. And there was this level of Jessica, like you have done this mm. for nearly 10 years at that point. Like, how could you? And I did. I just told my readers like on my blog, I was like, this is how I fell to porn before my wedding. And mm. it's super embarrassing almost because I should have known better and we don't sin so we can brag about it later right like Paul says that do we keep sinning so that grace can abound of course not but are we perfect of course not (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so when we do struggle I think that that's such a a brave thing to share because it shows people that man there there isn't there aren't any pedestals right there Mm -hmm. where we all struggle with things it doesn't matter what platform you've been given none of us are immune to this so it's it's brave of you, Jamie, to, to mm. share, Hey, this is me too. You could have just left me out <laughs> high and dry. Like this is the, <laughs> the freak over here who watches, who used to watch porn. But, but no. you, you said, Hey, like this is part of my story too. And I think we need more of that in our Christian circles. We need, we need less finished stories in our mm. Christian circles and more like unfinished mm. stories. And I think, growing up in the church, like you always hear about the testimonies and it's always past tense, right? Like I used to do X, Y, Z, and then poof, Jesus came and poof, yeah. now I'm all better. Yeah. And we don't see people walking through that journey. We don't see the struggle. Whereas in the Bible, mm. we see the struggle, right? Like look all throughout the Bible, Abraham struggles, Moses struggles, yeah. David struggles, Paul struggles, like all of them, mm-hmm. Peter, yeah. you know, yeah. Peter struggles. Like and we see that struggle and we look at the Bible and we go, well, isn't this amazing? We see God working through all of this and we see how he uses all of this. But then in our Christian circles, we kind of just like want the polished mm-hmm. end game. And we don't want to hear about all of that dirty yeah. stuff. And we don't want to hear about yeah. all of the the grit and the struggle in the middle. And so I think just being willing to have more of those conversations mm-hmm. and not being afraid of them and yeah. not going, oh, you're the pastor's wife or you're the worship leader, but yep. going, wow, even the pastor's wife or even the yeah. worship leader can struggle yeah. with it.
I don't remember where I wrote about this in one of books, but I talked about this thing called sin shock. This shock that says, oh, wow, I can't believe you did that. or I can't believe you struggle with that. Or I can't believe you would say that. And um, as much as I don't want to be that way, I, I, I find myself doing that some. You know, one of the things that you said in here, and this is what I would like to talk about as well, or a question that I had for you is how do we talk about the dangers of pornography without shaming people? And I think that was where I kind of got a little convicted. Like I told you that the, some of the things that we might say to maybe discourage porn use or even to advocate against the porn industry. I mean, like mm-hmm. I want to advocate about an industry that is doing so much damage to our world. How do we do those things without sh- at the same time shaming people who are stuck in maybe an addiction to pornography or who dabble in pornography or however you want to say it, how do we do both? Like how, how do we help people? How do we talk about an industry that is very, very damaging and not shame people? Right. <laughs> so this is a strategy. Wave that your I magic tell- wand and right. tell us how to do this. <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> this is a strategy that I also give to parents. Right. And so it, it's helpful to just like, we'll talk about kids for a moment here. Yeah. So Let's say you find out that your seven-year-old is watching pornography. Like they they got your iPad out, they found it. Whether I want to stop you right school. here. Yeah, I want to stop you, Jessica, because there are some people that are like, "Okay, seven, give me a break." And I just want everyone to know that can you you can probably give us a real stat, but the average age of exposure to pornography is what between nine and ten. Okay, there you go. That's the so, average age. So like, understand exactly. that like for uh-huh. every thirteen-year-old that sees it, there's like a five-year-old, right? So we're we're hearing stories of kids, whenever you give your child something electronic, you know, yep. an iPad or an iPhone, uh-huh. you are giving them access to pornography. Yeah. And I know parents are like, I am not, but you are. <laughs> like, you actually Which are. My, I always say it's not if your kid's exposed, it's when. And yeah. um, the first time one of my children was exposed to pornography, they were super young and it was on someone else's phone that they had their parents' phone. Right. And we were in right. a public place. They weren't away in a corner. Like they, we were in a public place. This other kid had their mm-hmm. parents' phone and my kid was exposed to pornography. Okay. I just want to get that straight. So, Carry on. <laughs> so that, so let's say that happens. So you're the mom, you walk in, your seven-year-old is watching pornography and your initial reaction, and I get it because I'm a mom, would be to like, oh my goodness, for all <laughs> of the, the things that we have done. in the double hockey sticks is happening? <laughs> for all of the things that we have done, all of the ways that I have tried, and let's be honest, like no matter who you are, no matter your gender, pornography has affected your story somehow. Either you've struggled mm. with it or you have a family member who struggled with it. You have a friend who struggled with it or a friend's husband, like whatever it is, yeah. you have seen its effects. And so you carry all of that into how you parent or into how you relate with other people. So you walk into the room and your kid's watching porn. And I've seen this even recently with parents reaching out to colleagues of mine who work more with parents and kids. And they say, I can't believe my innocent little boy, you know, Mm. is doing, and we begin to shame. Why? Because we're labeling the person as opposed to the action. And so I tell parents view porn as the predator and it's not your, it's not some evil, wicked thing that your child is doing. It is mm. a predator that is starting to creep up on your child. Like if you're out at the playground with your kids mm-hmm. and some creepy guy comes mm-hmm. weaseling in from the corner, you're not going to yell at your child, right? You're going to be right. intervening. You're going to be oh, that's good. getting up yeah. there and going like you step off, like you get back. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to carry that same mindset into Mm. church culture and into the adults that we know, because let's be honest, especially like I work with teenagers and young adults, 
they are they are hearing that this is safe. They're hearing that this is good. They're hearing that this is healthy. Everyone around them is watching porn. Like, why shouldn't they be watching porn? And when we come screaming in with this message of this promotes human trafficking, which it does, like it, it's connected and I'm not discounting that at all. Mm-hmm. But what we unintentionally do is we make it sound like, and you're a human trafficker, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. or back in the day, it was a lot of serial killer stuff, like serial killers, all they have in common is watching pornography. And so when you're sitting in church, you're like, oh, great. Am I like destined to be a serial killer now? <laughs> right. What's happening here? Yeah. And what we need to do is kind of have that same wanting to intervene of the person watching pornography is not the enemy here. Mm. And I think a lot of our messaging can look like that. It's like an us versus them. It's like the people yeah. who don't struggle with porn versus all the people who do. And mm. and that's not it. It's an it's an industry. It's a, a weapon of the enemy. It is a an it's a predator and it has sunk its teeth into so many people in the church. And when we start to view them as people that need to be liberated and captives that need to be set free, we can have that shift where we can still have the message of that is human trafficking. That is not good. And I know you person have been sold a lie and you've believed all of these things because no one's telling you the truth about this. And I know it's hard person that I am talking to that to feel like you can break free, but there is grace for you. And if you want freedom, we can work on this together mm. and, and really intervening and dealing with the, the person and wanting to free them, just like you would, if you saw somebody you know, yeah. creeping up on your kid at the playground, you wouldn't yell at, at your child. You would be doing something to stop and to separate mm. them. You wouldn't be shaming your child for this, this person creeping up on them. So I think in the church, we need to have that mindset. Yes, this is wrong. And yes, this contributes to a lot of not so great things in society. But I can guarantee you that when a young woman is watching it, that's not her goal, right? Mm. So when we start to label, oh, you're it's human trafficking and it's exploitation, mm-hmm. now we're just like heaping shame on mm. her when she could be a victim of exploitation herself. There's there are some women who have suffered sexual trauma and they turn to pornography as a way to try to reconcile and try to normalize it. And they're trying to cope because they can't find another way to cope with it. And instead of figuring out what damage has been done to them, we're going, Oh, you're, you're part of sexual exploitation. And they're Mm -hmm. going, but I was the one. And it just Mm -hmm. starts to, to heap shame and just drive them further into hiding. You know, I'm I'm just going to say right now, you have saved right now a lot of little children from some shame because a mom is going to remember what you just said because there is going to be that moment that she finds out that her child is either watching porn in their house or has seen porn or whatever. And honestly, there's something inside of us that our first reaction is like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you do this? And you have literally just given moms and dads as well, but most people listen to my show are moms. You've just given moms this tool of saying, that don't get onto your child for being bad, but there was a predator that came after them from the internet. And, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, women are like, oh, it makes sense. I got chills when you said it, Jessica, because I did not have a good reaction the very first time that we encountered this. And it's like a regret of mine, but you can't go back. You can only go forward. But that is so good that that is something coming for your child. That's not your child going for it. Now, can we go a little bit further? Can we go mm-hmm. into adulthood? Um, um, 
what does it look like to have conversations? Like, let's say that's not a seven-year-old, but I'm thinking of like students, like youth ministry, even college kids. Your experience was just so terrible of trying to let anyone know that you had um, a struggle that you need help with and no one would listen. What does it look like? How do we talk about the danger of pornography without shaming when we're talking about with adults? Like, mm-hmm. what would that have looked like when you you were at that college and they stood up and they said, we know some of you women in here struggle with this. Why was that experience so much better? Like, I guess I'm just wondering, like, how do we not shame people yeah. and still talk about the dangers of pornography? And and I mean adults now, not kids. Yeah. So I think you need to make it two, maybe not two separate conversations, but two separate parts of a conversation. And so okay. you can uh-huh. say, this is what's going on with pornography. And this is, you know, this is why it's dangerous. This is why it can rip marriages apart. It can, you know, destroy families, whatever. But, <laughs> um, if you're somebody who's struggling with this, like it's, it's a liar, right? Like the, the Satan is the father of lies. Right. And mm-hmm. so pornography is not presenting itself as this like evil, sinister, bad thing <laughs> and right. people enjoy it. And so being able to go, I get it that you think it's fun. I get it that you think it has a place in your marriage. It doesn't, but I get it that you think that all of these things, let me tell you about what's going on with pornography. And now let's talk about what it could be doing to you. Cause it's mm. remember the pornography is the bad guy. And so mm-hmm. if I want to say pornography promotes sexual exploitation, pornography promotes human trafficking, I can also personalize this and say, and pornography is a, is a horrible sex education teacher. It's not going to teach you healthy views about sex. It's going to wound your image of yourself. It's going to affect your body image. It's going to affect how you view relationships. It's going to affect how you view intimacy. It's going to affect a lot of things. So let's talk about you. And how we can heal that and how God wants to heal that. And God wants to free you from that. And I think mm. a lot of the, this is wrong about pornography conversations are really, this is what's wrong. And so this is why you should stop it. And I think we need to split that and say, this is what's wrong. And that's why God wants to free you. Mm. Right. This is what's wrong. And that's why it's wounding you. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. might not realize that it's hurting you, but God wants to set you free from it. Mm. It's, it's not zip up your pants and stop it. It's, it is. Listen, Jesus wants to to come and set you free. He's fought for your freedom. He's fighting for your freedom. Mm-hmm. And he wants you to walk in victory. Plus, he wants you to heal whatever damage led you to this and whatever damage has been caused by this. And so I think mm-hmm. you're still able to frame kind of like pornography as the bad guy while still talking to people who are struggling with this. Like you need to mm-hmm. stop because it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy mm-hmm. for culture. It's not healthy for others. But you also need to understand what's leading you there and what needs to heal. And we need Jesus. We need Jesus in here. We need grace in here. And we got to help you find freedom. I think that was the difference between the school. It was like, women don't do this to the one that said, we know some of you do. And we want to help you. Mm. And the very first study I did was actually John 4 um, as part of that freedom process. And it was just talking about how we look for other waters that don't satisfy. And so it was a a conversation more about what was drawing me to it and what mm. was what was broken in me that was leading me there. Because um, I think the people who want to break free from pornography know that it's not the best. Mm. Like they have heard that message. Yeah. So they've they've heard this isn't great. And now they're like, now what do I do? Like, now how do what? I get out? Yeah. And we yeah. need to have that answer in there too. You say in there, in your book, you talk about, and this is what you're kind of talking about, like, like our truly greatest need is Jesus. Like he is mm-hmm. our greatest need that is going to help us uh, with these things. And and by no means did I get 
the tone in the book or the tone in our conversation now that you're, that you are having this idea of like, just slap some Jesus on it and everything's fine. Like you're just, you know, just like, that's going to solve all your, although Jesus does solve all the problems. I didn't get the sense that you're like, like, oh, you just need Jesus and he'll be fine. Like you got the sense of like, you need Jesus because there's roots inside of you that need that living water that cannot be given water any other way. And that's going to help you fight this. And I, I really appreciated that. Um, Jessica, I want to ask you this. There are people who are listening here today, I guarantee you this is happening, that have never, ever told anyone about their struggle. Um, They feel the shame. Uh, Maybe they have got it under control for a little bit, and then it comes back, and and they fight it, and they feel shame, and they don't tell anybody. What is your encouragement to that listener who has never told anyone about um, their struggle with pornography? Um, My encouragement to them would be that shame thrives in silence, right? Mm. And, um, and sin loves secrets. (laughs) So if you want to begin your journey of freedom, or even if you felt like you've fallen back in and are, are trying to claw your way out, that your best first step is to tell somebody. And I know that it's terrifying because I've done that, right? Like I've, I've done that. I've told somebody I've had to kind of take off that mask and, because again, shame is a, it pretends to protect us. And so when we are starting to call it out and saying, actually, I'm going to go ahead and put myself out there, we're going to feel, you'll feel almost an increase of shame. Um, Mm -hmm. And you go, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to step out and say this? Should I wait maybe until I have it more under control? I really would like it just to be an old story, not a current story. Mm -hmm. We kind of start working through that. Your journey of freedom is less about fighting pornography and more about fighting shame. And I think that there is so much power in breaking open that wall and like letting the light come into this area of our lives. And so I encourage people to tell somebody, I know that's scary. I know it's terrifying. I know it might make you feel like you're going to throw up (laughs) or pass out or whatever, but be willing to, to find someone safe. And if you don't have someone safe and start praying for someone safe, because we all need somebody that's that safe Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, this is, this is what's going on in my life. I'm not expecting you to fix it. I'm not expecting you to know what to do with it. I'm not expecting you to like toss me to a counselor. I just need to be able to be seen in this struggle Mm. and met with grace. I know it might shock you. You might need a minute. That sin shock that you were talking about. I tell people, Shocked is not the same as shame. Like it's okay mm-hmm. if something like takes us off guard or, or startles us, but be willing to say, Hey, this is my story. I want to tell you how this has affected my life and how this has gotten into my life. And this is when I was exposed. Like be willing to share your story with somebody with the intent of having them receive it in a gracious way. You're not asking them to fix it. You're not asking them to do anything about it. You just want to have that conversation out there and not be hiding anymore. I think you'll find almost a bit of pressure is, is released when that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's the first step I encourage anybody with it. Some people will say, get an accountability partner, but I, I just, just tell somebody, just tell mm-hmm. somebody, cause we're supposed to be in community, right? We're supposed to be doing life together. And there's an element of that that needs honesty and vulnerability and, and transparency. You know, you talk about that secrets and there's a little bit of like, there's relief almost. And like, I'm just going to say this out loud and I need someone, I need a human to look me in the eyes and like 
maybe hold my hands, maybe give me a hug. There's just something that that defeats the shame so much when you can just yeah. say it. Like you, you just get it out. Like instead of that secret, it's so good. Um, I would. I know that there are people who are listening who are probably like, how can I get more of Jessica? Like where can I get more of her in my life? So you have a blog. Is that like the best place for them to, to reach you and find out more about your writings? Yes, probably. Blog or Instagram seems to be like the, the things right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So beggarsdaughter.com is my blog and there's hundreds of posts on there from all throughout my journey and um, addressing different uh, questions that have been sent in by readers and such. And then um, Instagram is beggarsdaughter. Where did Beggar's Daughter come from? Yeah. So when I was going to start my blog back in the day, I wanted, I've always been a poet at heart ever since I was little. I've, I've loved poetry and symbolic things. And so I wanted a blog name that was beautiful, in my opinion, and communicated the struggle that women are facing. And so mm. as I'm trying to, and that wasn't like, Purity after pornography, which mm-hmm. is my first, that was the first title for it. Um, but as a woman that I used to mentor when I was in college. So after I I finished my finding finding my freedom, I was mentoring some teen girls, and one of them wrote a poem about um, that was entitled Beggar's Daughter. And it was about a a beggar in London who would look up and dream about the castle and dream about what it would be like to live in the castle. And people around her told her, you were born a beggar, you will die a beggar. Like just stop dreaming about being at the castle. And yet she would still like long for that. And I just was like, that's it. That that is mm. that is it. That is how you feel when you're in the midst of the struggle of like, man, I have screwed up. This is my identity. And people said, mm. like, you're stuck. Like you are never getting out of this. You are messed up. Cause even like the purity culture hangover kind of is even after you've gotten free from pornography, well, now you're like tainted goods and now you're mm-hmm. no good. And it just like snowballs and it becomes this thing that never goes away. And I just, these women who long for freedom and want a different identity. And it was like, this is it. This is it. This is beggar's daughter. It was like, they, that's what they feel like. They're, mm-hmm. they feel like beggars and that they're owned by that, but they're a, a daughter of, of God ultimately like of of the most high king and so I just that's where that name came from and it's just stayed throughout the years it's become a thing I went to a conference once and I got in the van from the airport and someone looked at me went you're a beggar's daughter like it was like a stage name or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there's no changing it now there's no going back (laughs) you're stuck with it that is for sure um well I'm grateful I'm grateful for this book quenched you guys you can get it it's out it's been out since January uh discovering God's abundant grace for women struggling with pornography and sexual shame Jessica thank you for your work here I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear from you what are you reading these days I'm reading a book called um create anyway by Ashley Gadd and it is about finding moments for creativity in the throes of motherhood. So obviously I have Ah. three, four and under and have somehow managed to write a book (laughs) in that, in that time. But there's been many times where I've gone, you know, maybe this isn't the right time for that. Like Uh maybe I need to put all of that on hold and just throw myself into mothering. And she just makes the argument for like, God created us to be Mm. creative people. He is a creator and he created us to create. And it's not a separate calling from motherhood that we can invite our kids into this process and that we can honor God by, you know, doing things like calligraphy or I love to glaze pottery. And so like that can be a way to bring honor and glory to God. And he's not 
it's not frivolous and it's not unnecessary. It's yeah. it's an act of worship. And so I just have been so encouraged by it and, and love it. It's a good book. I love that so much. Well, Jessica, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thank you for having me on. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley.